But with that said, uh, I don't want to take any more time up. Let's dive into today's message. We are diving into our next installment of our series, Foundations. If you uh, have missed any of it, check it out on our YouTube channel. In fact, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date. Uh, but today I want to dive right in. This series has been all about you know, when, you, when a building is built, in order for it to be built high, it must have a deep foundation. And the same is true in our lives spiritually, that in order for us to build the life God's called us to build, we must have a deep and firm foundation. In fact, the words of Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And I want you, I want all of us to build our house on a firm foundation. Uh, So we've been talking about different foundational elements of our faith. And today, uh, I'm excited to to bring up a topic that there may be, for some of you in the room, um, maybe some confusion about, uh, maybe depending on how it was taught when you, uh, your church tradition, or if you even had a church tradition growing up, but it's the topic of repentance. Uh, Some of you got very uncomfortable even hearing that word, come on. Uh, you, you, uh, you're taken back to days, maybe you heard some people kind of preaching messages, turn or burn, uh, or that sort of message where repentance was this heavy term. Um, and here's my hope today with every topic we've discussed is to bring clarity from scripture on really what it means to repent. Uh, and also the role of repentance, specifically in the life of a Christian, of a believer. Now we repent initially to come to faith in Christ. Uh, But then sometimes when we become a a follower of Jesus, uh, repentance isn't as much talked about. It maybe isn't as as practiced as much, but it is a vital part of our life as a follower of Jesus. So I hope today as we dive into the scriptures uh, that God will give us clarity uh, on this topic. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that as we open it up today, God, that you would speak to us. Uh, We posture our hearts and our minds to receive from you today. It is in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 51, if you have your Bibles with you today, is where we're going to be. Psalm 51. Uh, To give context um, of where we are in scriptures, uh, this is the uh, psalm, um, some call it a psalm of repentance, because David, what would become your King David, as many of you know, uh, which if you're unfamiliar with David, it was from the lineage of David that Jesus came. Uh, David, the only person who has more scripture written about him than David is Jesus. So David is a pretty central figure in the scriptures. And this should encourage you this morning because David here, Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance where he is repenting. Catch this, if you're new to scripture, um, he, 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 he slept with a woman who wasn't his wife, Bathsheba, and he then murdered her husband, Uriah. Uh, so he, pretty significant sin, would you say? Um, and, but here's what encourages me, the fact that even someone like David, who's so prolific in the scripture, uh, that God, listen, I love that the scripture is not full of perfect people. It's full of broken people that God still chooses. Aren't you grateful? Uh, and David is somebody, he was known as a man after God's own heart. And uh, Psalm 51 is where he pens this idea, or pens really his repentance for his sin. Now, when you look at repentance in scripture, and the Hebrew word for repentance uh, means to turn. Uh, it's as if you were going somewhere and you turned around. 
that's really what the word in the original Hebrew means. In the Greek, it's the word most often used for the word repentance is metanoia, uh, which means uh, simply change, uh, to change your mind. But it actually means far more than simply to change your thought about something. It actually means to completely change your orientation or disposition. Uh, so in both the Hebrew and Greek, it, it really refers to this complete change of direction, of orientation, of what you're, where you're heading, of what you're doing. In Psalm 51, we see David experiencing this change. We're going to read the first five scriptures together. Uh, it says this in verse 1. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So David begins in this scripture really we see a pleading before God for his mercy. And I love that he starts here with the mercy and the unfailing love and the compassion of God. Aren't you grateful that we serve a merciful God? The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. But what we see in Psalm 51, which I wanna outline, there's three things that David does, which I think really, really shows us what repentance is um, and why it's important. And here's why it's important, because John 8, 36, Jesus said this, that he came to set us free, that he came to set us free from the penalty of sin, but also free from sin itself. And repentance is, is our way of walking free from sin. And in fact, I, I even just have a working definition of repentance um, based upon the Hebrew and Greek and based upon what we know in the scriptures. Here's how I want, I want to, to word it for us this morning, is that repentance is a turn away from sin and a return to the way of Jesus. That's simply what repentance is, is you are turning away from sin and then returning to the way of Jesus. I wanna share with you three simple points from this passage. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes. And as you know, if you're not taking notes, just write this down. Is we first have to acknowledge our sin. We have to acknowledge our sin. He says, before you, God, that I've sinned against you only. Here's what is intriguing about David's words. He's acknowledging, I didn't just sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, I sinned against you, God. And then he acknowledges, I've been sinful since birth. Come on. How many parents in the room, come on, dads. How many of you know, you, you can tell in your kids, yes, we are sinful since birth. Come on, somebody. <laughs> if you ever question whether the fallenness of humanity, ask a parent, come on. Because from the womb, there's certain things you don't got to teach them, right? Uh, in fact, true story, I broke up several fights in our house this morning. True story. So if you ever think at about 7, between 7 and 8.30 a.m., pray for your pastor. Um, because I am waging war both in the spirit and in my home. Um, but, but David acknowledging that he has sin, it's important, listen, that we acknowledge sin. And sin is simply this. Sin is when we, um, it's referred to in scripture as rebellion against God. It's when we do not live according to God's ways. Uh, it's, 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 it's rebellion. It, and that's what it is. 
And, and we have to acknowledge that we have sin, that we have a, a sinful nature given to us because of the fallenness of humanity. Thank you, Adam and Eve. And that then we, we also, at times, we willfully sin. We, we, we do what we don't want to do, as the Apostle Paul writes. And we don't do the things we wish we'd done. But it's important that we acknowledge sin. But here, here's what David, I think he understood. He saw sin for what it is, and he saw God for who he is. James said this, this is New Testament. James writes, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That sin eventually leads to death. For those who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it leads to an eternal death. Uh, thankful for Jesus, we don't have to taste that eternal death. But how many of you know, have you, seen, have you seen before either in your own life or somebody else's life how sin has led to destruction and death? That greed capturing somebody's heart leads them to make unwise financial decisions, to build up consumer debt, to be in bondage financially, to feel like I can't get out of this, that they'll, they'll find themselves. Or somebody's, have you seen someone who, who has unchecked lust and that eventually leads to not just a destruction of their purity, but a destruction of a relationship. We all have seen, right? Yeah, I mean, every day you can just scroll through three minutes of the news and you can see some form of sin bringing destruction, right? You can see hatred and violence. You see it all over the place. And James is warning us saying, hey, listen, sin eventually leads to death. Now, here's a way the enemy deceives us is he loves to deceive us in thinking, especially when it's at a, a seed form, before it's actually begun bearing fruit in our life, significant fruit. He will try to deceive us in making us think that the sin that we have in our life, it's not that big of a deal. Or that sin in our life, I, I got it under control. Uh, it, saying you have sin under control is like saying you've tamed a lion. <laughs> It might look like things are under control, but it's a beast that's just waiting to breed destruction into your life. Remember years ago, I went to a car mechanic because my brakes were making a noise. And I've openly confessed to you all before that your boy is not handy. Uh, so pray for Christina. Uh, your boy also is not good with cars. Come on, somebody. Uh, the, the, the extent to which I can do with a vehicle is put gas in it. Come on. Uh, outside of that, I trust people who know what they're doing. I thank God for mechanics. So I went to a mechanic that I, I trust, and I said, hey, I, my, 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 my brakes, or when I brake, I hear this squealing, some kind of rubbing together. I knew that wasn't good. <laughs> so he, he did an examination. He said, he said Jeremy, your, your brakes probably have at maximum three to six months, and then the brake pads will completely give out and your rotors will be destroyed by, your, by, the, by the metal rubbing together. He says, my recommendation is you get your brake pads changed out now or as soon as possible. Because, he said this, you could drive it for the next three months and maybe not experience a difference. But then all of a sudden, that brake pad will completely wear out and it will do significant damage to your car. Can I tell you, this is how sin is in our life is you think, well, this lust isn't, this, this, what I'm doing with this lust, it's not bothering anyone. Can I tell you, you might think you have it under control in three to six months, it might break things apart. That, that I have this greed under control, 
Uh, that three to six months, it begins to break things apart. That, that your lack of trust in God, you think it's okay, I have this under control. But in three to six months, your anxiety is so excessive, you cannot sleep at night. Listen, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And how he does is he gets us into, into, into engaging in some sin where we can think, I have it under control. It's not that big of deal. And can I tell you, sin is far less costly to deal with in private than to deal with in public. It, 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 is, it, is, it is far it's far easier to deal with it when it's in seed form before it becomes a massive oak tree breeding destruction in your life, in your children's life, in your employee's life. We've seen it, haven't we? We've seen how a CEO's sin brings destruction on his employees. How, how a man or a woman's sin brings destruction in their marriage to their children, to people around them. Uh, I, I know this might seem heavy, but, but I, I'm going to get to the good part. But I want us to feel the weight of it. In fact, David, he had this perception of sin. He, when he got a perception of it, I love this. He wrote in Psalms 119 that I consider all your precepts right. Watch this. He says, I hate every wrong path. He got to a place in his life where he hated sin. Can I tell you, that's a place where God wants to get us to. It reminded me of my children some, some couple, uh, about a year ago um, when we took them to, to the store and they would see like a package. Uh, it could be anything, cereal or a t-shirt. And they would have a cartoon character on the yogurt or the cereal. Have you seen this? And our kids would see it and they're like, oh, Mickey Mouse, dad, I want that. And I, we, we told them, hey, Hannah and Judah, like, the reason they put Mickey on that package, because they know that you will want that. You don't want that. <laughs> Mom and dad are not going to buy that. <laughs> but we began to reveal to them how marketing works. They're trying to market you. They're trying to get you to get want this. It's not good for you. To whereas now, Hannah can see it. She catches on things so quickly. She'll walk through a store and she'll say, look, dad, look, you're trying to sell me. I'm like, you got that right, girl. Come on. Call them out, Hannah. Here's where David got, and here's what I want to encourage you to get. Because the enemy will keep tempting you. So when those lustful thoughts come, you say, devil, I see that for what it is. When, the, when those thoughts of self-righteousness, you think you're better than somebody else come in, a devil, I see what you're trying to do because pride comes before the fall, and I'm not going to fall. Are you following me? So, so you learn, you see sin for what it is. And then David had an accurate perspective of who God is. This is also important. See, he says, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, your great compassion. Then watch this. He says, blot out my transgressions. That literally means in the Hebrew, you cancel my indebtedness. Man, the Bible says this, the debt you owe because of your sin is death. Not just natural death, eternal death. But, but the gift of God in Christ is eternal life. That means you have a debt, but somebody paid for it and his name is Jesus Christ. And he says, he's canceled your indebtedness. You owe no debt. And he says, wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That word wash refers to a washing of the clothes. In the Old Testament, that Hebrew culture, when you, to changing your clothes was symbolic of a changed life. He said, God, change my heart. 
God changed my life. He came boldly before God. It reminded me of David's boldness. I remember when I, was, when I first started driving, and I got my first ever speeding ticket. Can you remember your first ticket that you got when you were driving? And I remember a friend told me, I was, I was afraid of points and the fine. And a friend told me, if you show up to court and the, and the officer doesn't show up to court, they drop the charges. I was like, okay, your boy showed up to court. So literally the days leading up to my court date, I was praying in Jesus' name that something came up in that officer's life. I was like, in Jesus' name, he won't show up. In Jesus' name, come on, listen. You have not because you ask not. So I, I was praying in the name of Jesus. Like, I, but that stage of my life, I wasn't praying too much, but your boy prayed then, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, know, I know enough. I know the name of Jesus is powerful. So, so I showed up. He didn't show up. Come on, somebody. They were like, charges dismissed. I said, holla at your boy. Thank you, Jesus. Now if, I, now, if you're wondering, do I still pray those prayers today when I get a ticket? I will not answer that right now. But I will leave that to your imagination. But can I tell you, we have to be careful I, I had been here in my past, maybe some of you are there, that sometimes because of our sin, we can, we, can, we can think that in the same way that our justice system works, that we somehow have to beg God for forgiveness. Oh God, I hope you forgive this sin. Oh God, please, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope you can forgive me. Can I tell you, you do not have to hope nor pray that he forgives you, but because of the blood of Jesus, all sins are forgiven past, present, and future. That he, he's canceled our indebtedness. That's why we can come boldly before God. We don't have to fear God. He's not going to punish us. He's not going to come against us. Let me say this as well, because I, I've talked to some individuals who have this perception that sometimes we can fall under this lie that somehow God is punishing us for past sin. And, and people, I've even heard some people tell me before, well, I, I'm, I'm still single. Even though I want to be married. I'm still single because of what I did in my past relationships. Or I'm, I'm having these financial problems. I can't get traction because of what I did back then. Can I tell you, the scripture says God poured out all of his wrath upon Jesus. Can I tell you what that means? He's got no punishment left for you. He does not punish you for what you did in the past. Now, there might be natural consequences, right? Like that's not God punishing you, but he's not holding it over your head. And let me just, let me just free somebody up. You no longer have to be ashamed about what God has forgiven you for. The Bible actually says this, that he casts our sin in the sea of forgetfulness. God willingly chooses to forget your sin. How good is he? And the devil, listen, he'll make you want to hold your past sin over your head to make you feel ashamed of who you are. And can I tell you, that is not God. He does not condemn. So, so we can come boldly to him. Let me also say this. And maybe because your church background, sometimes we can think because of our sin, we need to do acts of penance. We can think, well, because I did this wrong, I need to do these rights. That I need to somehow kind of right my wrong. And let me say this, the Bible also says in Isaiah 64, that your righteousness, your good deeds is like filthy rags. That means you could never do enough right in your life to right your wrongs. 
But thank you, Jesus, that he came as the perfect, sinless, spotless one. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and when you put your faith in him, God now sees you as righteous. You don't have to right your wrongs. So we can boldly, what's our responsibility? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's the application of this first point is confess your sin. I want to encourage you. I think this is an important discipline. As much as reading the Bible and prayer is to confess your sin, if possible, every day. Is ask God, search my heart. Confess that pride. Confess where you're not trusting him. Confess where you were hypocritical the day before. Confess when you let your anger get the best of you. Confess when greed got a hold of your heart. Confess when that lustful thoughts ran for a while. And can I tell you, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and purify you of all unrighteousness. Amen? Here's the second point. We have to acknowledge our sin. Then we have to depend on God. I love in verse 10, David says this. Do not cast me from your presence or listen, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, this was the Old Testament, so the Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling in people. So the Holy Spirit indwells in the believers. So God doesn't take his Holy Spirit from us. But David there is, is saying, God, I need you. God, I'm dependent on you. I cannot do this without you. And can I tell you, living a life of repentance where you turn from sin and return to the ways of Jesus, you cannot do without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't. I was reminded this week of my, my, my youngest daughter was, she has this new thing she does. She'll go into our pantry at home and she'll close the door um, so you don't see her um, sinning. Uh, <laughs> she's eating things she knows you shouldn't eat. So she, she, this past week she goes in there and I'm on the couch and I hear her like grunting. Like, ah, ah. And she's getting frustrated. She's like, ah, like she's getting real frustrated, like screaming. I'm like, Abigail, what are you doing, baby? And she wants these little kids' cliff bars. She's like, I want a bar. I said, well, Abigail, you can ask dad, and dad will get you a bar. And, and listen, in the same way, she could not and was frustrated in and of herself. If you try to walk in freedom from your sin by yourself without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be like Abigail trying to get that bar. And you will be, fr- I have talked to people who told me, man, before I came to Christ, before I had the power of the Holy Spirit, there were certain addictions I couldn't get free from. There were certain things I couldn't stop. And can I tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit is real. And to say, God, I'm dependent on you. So what do we do practically? Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said this, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now here he's referring to salvation, but it applies beyond that. Here's what he's saying. That in the same way a child is dependent on God or dependent on a parent, unless you become completely dependent on me, you will not experience heaven on earth. Now, let me say this. Here's a mistake that I have seen. In fact, here's what he's saying in a nutshell. That to to follow Christ means you must radically reorient your life to the ways of Jesus. Now, I've been in a pastoral role now for 10, maybe 11 years now. 
Here's a common mistake I'll see people do when they'll come to faith in Christ is they do not radically reorient their life to the ways of Jesus. And they try to, they'll, they'll, they'll sometimes, and please, there's no condemnation in this, but they will treat Jesus more as an accessory than as the primary king of their life. So here's what, here's what James says about it, James 1.8. He says, their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They are unstable, watch this, in everything they do. He actually goes on to say this, this person can expect to receive nothing from God, he says. You know, Jesus says in Revelation, I'd rather you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. And here's what lukewarmness can look like, is we, 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 we kind of come to faith and we're, thank you for, for, for grace, thank you for mercy. And we got one foot in, but we still got one foot in some things we know we shouldn't be in. So, so we may come to church on Sunday, occasionally, read our Bibles occasionally, but we're still engaging in some relational behaviors that we know doesn't honor God. Or, or, or we, we, we got involved in a community group, but we know there's some areas of our life that we are willfully disobeying God, which just to be clear, willful disobedience is rebellion against God. It's sin against God. And the Bible says that you should expect to receive nothing from God. Not my words, God's word. So people will come and they'll go half in and half out and they won't radically reorient their life to the ways of Jesus. And then what happens several months later, usually I've seen this pastorally, not always, but if they don't make that change, then they'll just kind of pull away and say, you know what, I tried out God. Can I tell you biblically, you have not tried out God until you've radically reoriented your life to the ways of Jesus. He, he, he brings us life and life to the full. We either believe it or we do not believe it. And can I tell you, God's not asking for perfections. You'll always have areas where you fall short, but it's when you are willfully disobeying. So you need to radically reorient your life to Jesus. Jeremy, that sounds extreme. Yeah, I know it does. Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. He says you actually gain your life when you lose your life. People actually left the presence of Jesus when he said that because he said, that's too much, Jesus. But can I tell you, he came to give you life and life to the full. So every way of Jesus leads to life. Every way, every area of his word leads to life. So is it extreme? Yes. Is it worth it? Absolutely. You have to reorient your life to the ways of Jesus. You have to submit your way to the ways of God and say, God, I'm going to trust you even when I do not feel it. James says this, when you submit yourselves then to God, you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Can I lovingly just say this? And I hope you hear my heart. If you have one foot in with God and one foot out, I wanna call you today to repentance to go all in with God. Because I know this, in three months, six months, listen, I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. Because listen, sometimes pursuing righteousness is a discipline before it's a desire. <laughs> right? Come on, you wish the moment you came to Christ, like, oh Lord, I wish I never, thank you Lord, I'd never have another lustful fault. Thank you, God. All pride is gone from me now that I've came to Jesus. I thank you. I'm extravagantly generous and I have no greed in my heart now that I've come to Jesus. 
No. But you know what you do? You discipline yourself. You put boundaries in your life. You get accountability in your life. Jeremy, that's old school. No, yeah, well, actually it is. Yeah, it's biblical. Some of you are getting uncomfortable. It's okay, because I know that the ways of Christ are worth it. It's not the ways of Jeremy. It's the ways of Jesus. Part of depending on God, too, is depend on others. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either one falls down, one can help the other off, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. There will come times you will fall down in your best efforts, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you will still fail. Uh, and God doesn't call you to be perfect. And that's where you need someone to pick you up when you feel discouraged. Have you ever had a day where you just felt discouraged? Like you made, a mis- you made that same mistake again. You're like, ah, I know better. You, you, you raise your voice. You let the anger get the best of you again. You let greed grip your heart again. You found yourself questioning whether to trust God again. You're like, I'm better than this. You need someone to come alongside to, to, to pick you up. You know, it's, it's summertime. I don't know where you're watching online, but here in the D.C. area, it's summertime. And uh, in, in the Burroughs family, we will probably go to a water park or two. And uh, I remember uh, not long ago, we were at an indoor water park. And we went to the, the kids. I went up with, with uh, both of uh, our older children. When we got to the top of the water slide, it had these, had these big tubes, and they had this, this, this big sign on the water slide that you cannot go down by yourself, and that for children under 12, they have to go with an adult. And this is a massive slide. It went like, you know, it's one of the ones where it goes all black, like a tunnel, and like, and anyways, and I thought to myself, I wonder why it's saying that, and, and my only thought was is that, you know, for the younger kids, any adult, is you need some extra weight so a kid doesn't go flying. Come on, all right? They're looking out for themselves. In other words, like you need someone else to go down this slide with you. Can I tell you the way that, that following Jesus works is you need someone to go along the path with you. Christianity is not a self-study. It's not, it's not an isolated faith. It is a faith where you allow someone to get up into the mess of your life where they don't just see the, the, the Sunday churched version of you. I'm blessed and highly favored. Thank you, Jesus. I'm too blessed to be stressed. No, they, they, they know, they know you have greed in your heart. They know you have an issue with anger. They know you sometimes drink too much. They, they, they know about those, those things that nobody else knows about. This is the way God's designed it. If you've been around Catalyst, you know the scripture, James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Can I tell you, this is why we have community groups, not just so you would go see a nationals game or try the different international restaurants in Bethesda, that's great, or even do a Bible study, they're fantastic but you would have somebody, here's what we say, you take the mask off with. And can I tell you, the Bible says it's there where you find freedom. It's there where you find healing. A spiritual family is critical to freedom from sin. 
You need to get involved and build some relationships. Come to Next Steps today. Build relationships. Get to know people so you can walk in freedom. Here's my last scripture, or my last point, is pursue righteousness. So you have to acknowledge your sin. You have to depend on God and others. Then you have to pursue righteousness. David said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word steadfast means immovable. It means, God, give me a disciplined spirit as I leave from here. You purify me. You've forgiven me. Your mercy is new every morning. Your grace is sufficient. But give me a steadfastness that I will do what is right so I can walk in the way of life. Part of, of that is what Paul said to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee, that word flee literally means to, to run. Uh, to run like you stole something. To run like someone is chasing you. Several times the Bible mentions that term flee when it comes to sin. Like you run away from it. It's aggressive. Like you're, 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 you're fleeing from it, you're getting away from it. Here's the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble or sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Thank you, Jesus. Right? He says it's better to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Here's what he says. That when it, to take drastic measures to remove destructive sin out of your life. I remember when I was younger, my father had some surgery done on his leg and uh, there were some complications with the, with the incision and it created an infection. So some, some time had passed and the doctors realized after different types of treatments that we're gonna have to remove this infection because they said, if we don't remove this infection, it will spread and it will create further complications. Can I tell you, sin is an infection in your life. And you have to take drastic measures and cut it out of your life. That, what that can look like, that can look like maybe your issue is envy. And you have a hard time being envious of others. You have a hard time celebrating people, but you're envious of them. Maybe that means you delete all social media from every device on everything that you own. Maybe your issues with lust. You get filters on every device. You have somebody in your life who's helping to hold you accountable. You set some strict boundaries. Maybe you're dating somebody and, and you say, hey, past a certain hour, we cannot hang out because it gets harder for me past a certain hour. Jeremy, that's old school. Yes, it is. But can I tell you, it will save you from an infectious sin that will destroy your life. So you put boundaries, you put things in your life Maybe it's when it's area of greed. You put spending limits on your cards. So I can't, when, when it gets a hold of me and I want to buy more than I should, my bank tells me no. <laughs> you, you, you do whatever it can to get this out of your life. There are some places you need to not go anymore. There are some people you need to no longer see. Jeremy, that sounds extreme. Yeah. But can I tell you, your soul is worth it. You have to flee from sin. You have to gouge out whatever it is leading to it. So you flee from it and then you pursue righteousness. 
2 Timothy 2.22. As you pursue righteousness, I said before, oftentimes is a discipline before it's a desire. So that might mean for you is you, 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 <laughs> maybe your areas, areas greed, it's money. You know, Jesus says you either serve me or money. So you set up recurring giving, you put a, a, a limit on your cards, and you have somebody have access to your bank account so they can see. They're saying, John, it's very intrusive. Can I tell you, if that is your issue, it is worth it. Whatever it is for you to go extreme and pursue righteousness. That means that I'm preaching to the choir. You're saying, hey, every Sunday morning, I'm going to be in church. It's not a, not, a, not a decision I make on a Sunday morning. I just pre-decide, unless I'm sick, I'm going to to be in church. If I am sick, I'm going to watch online. That, that I'm going to read my Bible. I'm pre-deciding. It will be a discipline. It's like this, and many of you have experienced this. When you start working out and you haven't worked out, usually those first like three months, you do not like it. Can I get an amen? Like you're like, why do people do this? Like these people are insane. But then you get those endorphins. You get the benefit. You have more energy. You begin to notice a difference in your body. And what happens? What was once a discipline becomes a desire. So maybe at first giving is a discipline. But then you realize what Christ said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now it becomes desire. That maybe living a life of, of sexual purity and righteousness was a discipline. But now you're walking in the freedom of it. And now it becomes a desire. That, that maybe before, you, even you battle with your own worry and anxiety over trusting God because, let's be honest, you like control. And you let go and you start trusting God in faith. You start saying, God, I'm speaking to somebody. And then you realize, actually, when I trust in God and lean not on my own understanding, he will direct my path. And all of a sudden, oh, I want to trust God. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust him anyway. He was faithful then. He'll be faithful again. You begin to pursue righteousness. You begin to walk in the way of life. So when you feel angry at someone, instead of being harsh with them, you pray for them. When you're bitter with someone, instead of holding on to that bitterness, you say, God, help me to you begin to discipline yourself so that you can walk in wholeness. Here's my last scripture, Luke 3, 8. The words of Jesus. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit. You know what that means? Is your life is producing fruit. Whether or not we realize that our life has fruit, our life has outcome but here's the question is are we are we producing the fruit of repentance in our household uh, we have a, a, a fruit basket and uh, I walk by it um, each day and we have things like bananas in there and um, uh, mandarins and we even put some vegetables sweet potatoes and I walk by it to check on the fruit once a day, I'll like look and check on the fruit. Because, you know, when fruit begins to become rotten, you get fruit flies and all that kind of stuff. And so you actually have a rotten banana with me today. 
In fact, it is, I think that's, it might be mold. It's truly rotten. Come on, somebody. Um, this is a real live illustration. But, you know, a banana, when you first get it, a pre-ripe banana, I think is one of the worst things in the world, right? You eat it, it's like, it's, this, this is cardboard, right? It's like, and then your mouth dries, it's, it's horrible. But then you have about two to three days of like perfect ripeness. You know what I'm talking about? It's like not too sweet, but it's sweet enough. It's like, the, it's the money. And, and then it becomes rotten. Then it, be, you know, it, be, it, gets, it gets heavier when it's rotten. It looks like this. It's got bruises all over it. You open it up. and you, I don't even want to open this up. You know? I'm just going to go in the trash today. Because I don't want to know what's in there, right? You know, it's, it's going to be bruised and gooey and just nasty. But here's, here's a ripe one. It's got a few bruises, but it's ripe. It's, you can tell by its firmness, but it's not, you know, it's, it's good. I'm going to eat this one later. But listen, there's a difference between a ripe banana and a rotten banana. There's a difference between the fruit of repentance and the fruit of pride. The fruit of humility. Do a fruit check this week. Do I have the fruit of humility? Do I have the fruit of pride? Self-righteousness. Do I have the fruit of generosity? Or do I have the fruit of greed? Do, do, I, have, have, do I have the fruit of, of, of trusting God or I have the fruit of anxiety because I'm trying to keep control? Do a fruit check on yourself. If you wanna be even real bold, ask those close to you to check your fruit. Hey, this is an area of struggle of mine. Are you seeing the fruit of repentance? Can I tell you, church, listen, repentance enables us to walk in freedom. But we got to acknowledge, hey, I, I have sin. I have areas of my life. I'm not trusting God. I can be hypocritical. I got an issue with my anger. I sometimes eat too much or drink too much. I have an issue with money. Whatever it is for you, acknowledge it. But the good news is this, is you can confess that to God and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is he's called people around you like you're around. He's given you a community group that you can get involved in so that you can actually pursue righteousness and walk in the way of the life of Jesus.